our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Wooden once said, Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1,002nd broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, our chat board, so forth and so on. Let's get started. Jonathan, it's the new year. Happy New Year. What's on the table for today? Happy New Year, Rick. Our question is, what would you want your grandchildren to know? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what would you want your grandchildren to know? Whether we think about it or not, we all leave a legacy behind us as a result of our life and experience. Sometimes that legacy can be rich with wisdom, accomplishment, and example. And other times... Our legacy can be a sad tale of unfulfilled potential, broken dreams, and a trail of if only and why didn't I. The thing is, we choose much of what our legacy will look like. What if you thought about your legacy in the context of leaving something behind of great value to your grandkids? Aside from material things to make them, phys- them physically comfortable in life and so forth, what would you want them to learn? What would you want them to know so their lives could blossom with fulfilled potential and with true contentment? Now look, even if you don't have grandchildren, let's suppose that you do and you're writing them a letter with words of wisdom. What will you say in that letter? And folks, it's always our objective with each subject. We choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. All right, so our question, what would you want your grandchildren to know? And Jonathan, to deal with such a subject, we had to bring in a good friend of ours, and I would say one of, one of the, no, let me, let me rephrase this, the most enthusiastic person that I know. We are bringing back Todd Alexander. Todd, hello, how are you? Welcome to Christian Questions once again. Hello, Rick, and hello, Jonathan. Hey, it's great to be with you again today. 
And uh, Todd, you've been with us several times before, but for those listening for the first time, who are you? What are you about? And then, uh, and then we're going to get into our subject matter. Well, I'm a 57-year-old uh, guy in Ohio, and I, um, I've been at the same company for 40 years. I'm in marketing and advertising, and I'm, a, I'm in sales. So I understand uh, a lot of things about marketing and advertising as it re- relates to big box retail stores. And I understand a lot about the human uh, interaction by selling to other people. Okay. And so this idea of writing a letter to your grandchildren was not my idea. It was your idea. What, yeah, what, what provoked that? Mind. What what provoked the idea? Well, um, so often in life, our daily activities lead to the mundane. And I wanted to leave something profound. And I wanted to give them, sum up all of the wisdom and knowledge that I've been able to receive. And my objective is to help my two grandsons and maybe more. I want them to become what they were meant to become. I want them to live up to their full potential And they are going through a process of personal transformation. They're changing from an innocent child into a mature adult. One is four and one is six. But um, I want to help them get through that passage. And it's often a treacherous tunnel. It's a a tunnel of self-discovery. And uh, it's something that develops them into a mature adulthood. And I want them to be healthy, responsible, and I want them to live up to what they were meant to become. All right, so you've got two grandchildren ages six and four, and I've got three grandchildren. I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, my yeah. grandson is 10, and I have two granddaughters that have just turned two. So, so we're in that same category, and I think we'll agree that grand, grandfatherhood is one of the greatest things ever. Jonathan, are you a grandfather? No. Um, only time will tell. My son <laughs> and my daughter-in-law, they're young. They're married a little bit over two years, so we'll see. All right. So no pressure. Nope. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about it either. <laughs> okay. So stay tuned and see what happens. All right. So we're writing this letter to your grandchildren. What's in the letter? And folks, look, if even if you're young, it's not about grandchildren so much as it's about thinking it through as though you want to leave something to your grandchildren because there's a sense of legacy there. There's a sense of real importance, generational uh, importance and changing. That's why we're framing this, whether you're young, old, or somewhere in between, think about it. What would you want your grandchildren, future grandchildren, to know? So let's go back to our theme verse, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and just add a couple of verses to that. And then, Todd, I'm just going to ask you, why are we beginning with this particular scripture? Jonathan, Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. So, Todd, why are we starting with this particular text? Well, wisdom is the principal thing in life, and that's the big message I have to my grandchildren. Um, If you want to gain knowledge, you should add one spiritual thing to to your life every day. But if you want to get wisdom you should subtract one fleshly thing from your world every day. That's a big idea. Um, They're going to, especially in this frenetic world of media um, uh, crazed world, um, as a grandfather, I see things in very small beginnings. And um, uh, the other thing that I like about this scripture is that it tells us to take heed of the spiritual leaders in your life. God plus mom and dad equals a beautiful character. That's the formula for what I want to say. God plus mother and dad 
is a beautiful equals a beautiful character. Wow. Okay. So already, already, wisdom is the principal thing. To get wisdom, you need to be subtracting worldly things from your existence because wisdom is higher than stuff, and the honor and respect of parents, which is totally lost in our society, Todd, you're saying is really, really important. Okay, let's keep, let's keep moving forward. There's, folks, there is so much ground to cover. We're going to try to do our very, very best to get through as much as we can. So, so the basis of this letter that we're writing, Todd, where this is kind of like a workshop for the next 90 minutes on writing this letter to our grandchildren. Is it scriptural? Is it directional? Is it, is it physiological? What's the basis of the letter? Well, it's mainly psychological and scriptural <clears throat> and then directional. And the metaphor that I like to use is, you know, we enjoyed our solar eclipse on August 21st. And the scientists knew exactly when it would happen. They knew how long it would last. And they knew the trajectory of that full total eclipse across the United States. <clears throat> but our life isn't that way. And I want to provide the out of the wisdom of the things that I've learned out of the scriptures. And I want to provide that for my grandson. So it's psychological, it's scriptural, it's directional, it's all of those things. Okay. All right. So we're going to have a scriptural basis and then you can just expand it to what it would mean for all of these different things. So let's go to another text. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, and 5 and start to put the basis of the letter together. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. How does this scripture give us a basis for the letter? Well, Rick, uh, the love of God is the keystone of my success. And uh, I, th these conclusions came through a life of great struggle. And the one thing I want my grandsons to know and my grandchildren to know is that loving God and waiting for Christ to work in your life is the keystone to your success. It is the thing that provides the structure for your physical and spiritual lives to meet. Okay, so you said something really interesting, loving God and waiting for Christ to work in your life. See, now, yeah. it, that doesn't sound typical because, you know, typically we, we seem to have the idea that when we call upon Christ, he's just going to answer us. But you're saying you got to wait for Christ? Well, keep in mind that the scriptures tell us that we are made in the image of God. So we have some amazing software and hardware that we're transporting around with our bodies in our minds. And um, all of the great men of the scriptures prove to us that if they waited on God, Joshua, Moses, Joseph, David, Daniel, all of them. Nehemiah. Waited, a Nehemiah. <laughs> all of them proved that the love of God in our life and waiting on Christ is the secret sauce to a successful life. All right. So, folks, already you're getting lots of in information, lots of ideas for, for this letter for your children. Let's go to another scripture, Proverbs 16, 2 to 3. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Okay. Basis for the letter found in this Proverbs scripture taught how? Um, everything that you do everything that we do should have been have been done with it with the goal of honoring god and if we do that god promises to direct our mind all we have to do is submit to god okay so we submit he directs we right. don't submit he won't direct so uh, 
Go ahead. He will be he will um, be far from you, and it won't be because of God. It will be because of you. All right. So so there's a there's a placement of ourselves to be able to be uh, affected by God and his and his and his great great power and wisdom and overruling. So so right. Todd, we have and and folks, this is this is a podcast, so you can't see this, but we have a an uh, an infographic, if you will. It's and it's titled "A Letter to My Grandchildren." Todd put this together, and it's got all kinds of things on it. It's got apathy and worry and boredom and anxiety inspired and relaxed and control and flow and an ideal path and all of these different elements. And we're going to go through a lot of them, Todd. I'm going to ask you to try to explain them. Now, we're not going to try to describe what the infographic looks like, but you can find that on Seeker Rewind, the full edition. If you're a subscriber, it's already there. It'll be there for you. If you're not a subscriber, it's a free service. You want to do that. We'll talk about that later. But let's get into some of the pieces of the infographic because there were a few things that that jump out. First, you know, there's, there's, there's two sides. There's the left to right um, uh, line that says strengths and aptitudes, and then the bottom to top that says challenges and opportunities. So let's start with strengths and aptitudes. Just give us a sense. What do you mean by that? Well, this is a uh, concept that I picked up from a psychologist named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He's a Hungarian psychologist. He wrote some great books. One is called Changing Minds. Uh, Oh, no, that's not it. It's called Flow, and the other one is called Good Business. Um, so the horizontal dimension that you referenced, strengths, that's basically strengths and aptitudes, and that's your ability or your power by reason of influence, your authority, um, and also your your innate abilities, your talent. It's basically your readiness or quickness and learning, and it's the um, your your unique intelligences. So those, the horizontal or the vertical dimension is um, uh, or is. I'm sorry, the horizontal dimension that we talked about is uh, str- your strengths and aptitudes. That's your ability to address the challenges and opportunities in your life. Okay, so strengths and aptitudes sound like they're, they're very customized in terms of who you yes. are and what you're made of. Very uh, unique. Okay, challenges and opportunities. Give us a sense on challenges or difficulties and opportunities. Those are the things that happen to you in life and the things that you opt into and the things that you take on. Um, basically, your your challenges are the your um, uh, projects that you are engaged in, and your opportunities is uh, are the things that come your way that you would choose to opt into. So, what you have here in this horizontal and vertical dimension, this horizontal and vertical axis, and for those of you who are familiar with it, it's an X Y chart. Um, your horizontal. Um, uh, axis is your strengths and aptitudes. Your vertical axis is your challenges and your opportunities. And you live your life along a continuum within that framework. Right. So you want to start at the lower left-hand corner and you want to move your way up to the upper right-hand corner. You know, The whole secret, the right. whole secret to, to this is that your strengths and aptitudes should be equally matched to your challenges and opportunities. And we're going to go through some scriptural examples. Okay, and, and there's one word that's really a key here in this whole thing. Now, I just want you to introduce the word. Let's not do an explanation because that's what we're going to do in the next segment. What's this one little word that everything seems to revolve around? It's called flow. And the flow is um, that, that state of happiness and true joy that you enter into when you are doing something and you lose track of time and space, you even forget to eat, uh, that you are um, so enthralled in what you are doing that you um, are so, uh, you're enjoying your moment and you, the reality of of it is, 
is that your strengths and aptitudes are equal to the challenges and opportunities that exist in your life. So we really want to figure out how do you get to your flow. So that's really kind of where we're going to go here. Todd, you got some notes here about the brain. Now, we only have like a minute and a half or two minutes left in this segment. There's something about the neocortex, something about the limbic system, and the amygdala. Just give us an overview about the brain and flow and this letter. How do those things tie together? Well, I'm considering this a gentle warning to my grandsons. So as a teenager, they will have an undeveloped brain. Uh In fact, their brain won't be fully developed until they're in their 20s. And the neocortex is the part of our brain. It's the big part of our brain. It's it's what makes us human. It's what makes us unique from the animal creation. And it's where thought is part. Thought occurs in our brain. And that neocortex is what gives us personal power. And that's the ability to go into the direction that you know you should be going. My advice to my grandsons is that they put the neocortex in charge of their brain. Now they have also an emotional side of their brain, which is limbic and and an instinctual side of their brain, which is the amygdala. Now the the limbic part of your brain is what uh, got governs your emotions. It's where your emotions come out of. It also governs your body language, either negative or positive. And that's a smaller part than the neocortex. That is the emotional side of your brain. Now we have a little almond sized piece of our brain called the amygdala. And that's when you're hum- where your human instincts are. And that's at the very top of your brainstem. And it's when we see a lot of teenagers that you ask them, why did you do something that stupid? They say, I don't know. It's because (laughs) they operated out of their amygdala. All right. So neocortex should rule. Uh, Yes. uh, Limbic and amygdala should be subservient. Very hard to do when you're young, but that's what you're, that's the warning. That's one of the parts of this letter is put that in. And look, it's a lot of big words, but think that's what, that's what you're saying here. So, all right. We got we, we, we there's a lot of things going on here. We gotta slow down. There's lots of details on the table. So where do we put them? Simple, Rick. We put them where they belong. It sounds like flow is the thing. So what is it? And how do we explain it to our grandchildren? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. Putting this whole letter to the grandkids idea together, it really does become important to realize and utilize the power of such a thing. To think through and distill down your wisest thoughts and observations for the benefit of those who are just beginning is really powerful. So let's go with the flow, because Todd said the flow is the main thing. You know what, Rick? Uh, Hold on a sec. We have to remember CQ Rewind, especially in a program like this, because you don't want to miss the details and you've got to see the chart to really understand it. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign up tab. It's full of graphics and illustrations and uh, you will enjoy it. All right. So CQ Rewind, the full edition is a free service. If you don't like it for some reason, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button and nobody will bother you. So give it a try. Christian CQ Rewind through your Christian Questions app or at the uh, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Todd, let's get into this thing. What is flow 
I mean, it sounds like somebody that we know, right? <laughs> you know, who is flow? But <laughs> what is flow? How does it work? How do you get there? And how would you describe it to a kid? Because you, you, you talked about a lot, of, a lot of detailed information in the first segment. Here on out, we want to distill it down to how do you talk to a kid about these things? Well, in a phrase, flow is living in a state of flow is where your challenges are met by your strengths and aptitudes equally. Now, that's the that's the destination. But how do you get there? How do you how do you manufacture your life in a way that you can get there? You have it's a combination of your specific unique intelligences, your unique temperament and the way you engage with the world. And I'll tell you this 20 second story. I watched my son the father of my grandsons played sports in high school and he was always looking out for the little guy, the less quality player. And he would help them with their skill. I said, son, you're a doctor. And um, you, and he says, how do you know? And I said, because you are living the life of a healer. And so what, what he, he did is he became a doctor <laughs> and he is healing people every day. He's healing people. They come from long distances just to come see him. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Of his intelligences, his temperament, and the way he engages with the world. Okay, so you know we all have people that have influence in our lives, and and you know there's a lot of different influences that come in. And you said in the first segment you got to rely on the part of your brain, the neocortex, that does the thinking. So people with influence, what do you? What should you be watching out for? Perhaps as an element of this letter, Jonathan. Let's well, go to Hebrews. Hang on, Todd. Let's go to Hebrews thirteen seven, and then you can jump in with an answer to that question. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. All right, Todd. Managing those with influence. What do you look out for? Well, there's two things that you should really watch. Number one, you should watch their craft. In other words, their craft is the care they put into their daily work. I don't care if it's putting a garbage liner in a garbage can or if it's building a bridge or architecting a high rise. Watch their craft. And then the second thing is watch their gifts. In other words, how are they using the abilities that God gives them? And then look for the emotional truth in each of your experiences with your mentors and also look for the people who give value to others freely. You want to find a net giver. And by the way, you want to become a net giver. You want to lead with value. You want to bring value into everybody's life that you can. So by becoming such a person, it's so much easier to show someone else how to look for those things. So really, there's going to be a lot of practice what you preach in this letter to our grandkids. Exactly. And a good mentor is somebody that can give you wisdom without prejudice. Wow. Okay. <laughs> a lot of little nuggets there that you can go a long way with. And uh, <laughs> I gotta, I've got to resist the temptation to follow each one because we'd never get through anything if I did. Uh, so let, let's go through flow. Let's go through several scriptures. And I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to do a scripture. Then I'm going to ask you to respond to that question based on the scripture. So we're talking about flow, finding that combination of your gifts and what you do so that you can, you can work. So work seems effortless, and, and, and it, becomes a, it becomes a joy and a contentment. So what's the flow message with your own gifts and abilities? What do you look for? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. And again, Todd, when you come with the answer, how do you explain it to a kid? Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of efforts, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Translation, Todd. Rick, this scripture tells us that we are all unique and we are all given special abilities, um, unique abilities to do the work of God. That's our job. Now, the problem with our culture today is that most of us live in a performing mode when we should be living in a learning mode. We should spend 80% of our time in learning mode and 20% of our time in performing mode. And Jesus taught this to us. But we, sometimes we want to be in an, a performing mode because we want to experience the world with our physical senses. Okay, pause right there. So yeah. distill that thought, performing mode versus learning mode. You're talking to a child. How do you say that? Uh, be willing to watch and listen before you speak is a way to say it. Um, be wise enough to know that God is putting people in your life for you to learn from. So learn from them instead of trying to teach them first. That's another way to look at it. Um, it's, it's, it's better to receive wisdom than to impart wisdom. Uh, only impart wisdom when you're asked for it or where you see a need to build a bridge. All right. Those are Excellent ways. Okay, that's a good good start. All right, so let's go another scripture, another thought, another building block for this letter to our grandchildren. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he taught them to serve each other, he said in John thirteen seventeen, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, is that a message, a flow message in any way, shape, or form? Yes, because he is ex encouraging his disciples to live a life of learning and performance when in, in knowing his word is learning, doing them is performance. What Jesus showed us by example is that we are living in a world where almost everything is worthless and there are only a few things that are priceless. And there are certain efforts in our life that really bring exponentially more value to our lives. And Jesus showed us the way, and that is by using our gifts to serve others. And that's priceless. He says that knowledge is good, but to be truly happy in life, we must use our knowledge in action. Okay, I'm going to want to get back to using our gifts, because what if you don't know what your gifts are? I want to just put that question on the shelf for a moment and see if we can get through some other things and come back around to that. Because I think that's an important aspect that you got to say, okay, but what if, I'm, what if I'm, I'm, I'm basically clueless sitting here saying, I don't know, what am I going to do? So we'll come back to that. Dealing with those around us in our environment. Okay, we've got to get the flow message because we looked at those with influence and we saw a message there. We looked at our own gifts and abilities, we see a message there. The words of Jesus, we see a message there. So now the, uh, those around us in our environment, what's the flow message there? Let's go to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 4. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Okay, message about those around us in our environment. What's that flow message to focus or stay away from? What, what, what's it telling us? 
Well, uh, Rick, if Psalm 1 verses 1 through 4 paints a beautiful picture, a serene picture in your mind, it's because it's using a wonderful pastoral scene. And I like to explain this as a movie moment. God is casting the movie. He's giving you waters. He's planting you firmly by the streams of water. Make sure that you stay by the streams of water. Make sure that you stay hydrated with the word of God. And if you do, you will produce the fruit in its season, and your leaf will always be hydrated. And whatever you do will prosper. Now, that's only if you stay by the river. So think of this movie moment where God is casting the movie. Jesus is the talent director. And in the Apostle Paul's case, the Apostle Paul was the talent Now, he was obedient to that heavenly vision. He had great sin, but Jesus and God helped the Apostle Paul leverage that great sin for him to serve the gospel ministry. So, in essence, he was living in a state of flow every day. His strengths and his aptitudes were equal to the opportunities and challenges of preaching the gospel. All right, so there is a staying away from in Psalm 1, 1 to 4, and there's a clinging to in Psalm 1, 1 to 4. And flow to get to that point requires that we, we understand the difference between the two. So give me, and I'm going to ask you to really be short on this. You're talking to a child about Psalm 1, 1 to 4. What do you explain to them in terms of this letter, in terms of this message? God has provided water for you to be fully hydrated and helped and helped in your life make sure you stay close to the word of god and make sure you stay under the power of his hand it's a gentle loving wonderful hand stay there stay there okay all right so stay there even though those others may seem enticing stay there um uh, let's uh we gotta we gotta move along here let's go down to um the next next piece of understanding flow our own action and contribution so we've talked about those with influence around us uh, we've talked about our gifts and abilities some of the words of jesus people around us in our environment now our own action and contributions what's the flow message here jonathan let's go to galatians 6 7 through 10. do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith." All right, so this is absolutely focusing on our own actions and contributions. Again, take this scripture. How do you focus it for a child to understand the wisdom being imparted in these few words? My grandchildren will be growing up in a world that is defined by buying and selling. That's man's economy. It will get you nowhere. Spiritually, it will get you to a destitute place. God's economy is one that is defined by sowing and reaping, sowing righteousness, sowing service, sowing sowing helpfulness, and reaping the spiritual rewards of flow. Now, my advice is to live by design versus living by default. If you live by default, you are living by the precepts of this world. But if you are living by design, you are living by the intentional purpose that God has outlined for you in the scriptures. Remember, stay close to that water. You're a tree planted by the water. Stay there and flourish. 
Okay, so instead of buying and selling, which is the way everything works, we should be sowing, spreading forth good, and then reaping benefits from that, spreading forth that which is good. Totally different concept, and it is foreign in the world in which we live. But again, folks, this is a letter to your grandchildren. You want them to have that leg up in life, not in, in terms of how much they can get, but how much they can become. And in order to become, it's not about buying and selling. It is about sowing and reaping. Beautiful. Okay, we're, th- I'm getting this flow thing now. I, it's starting, to, it's starting to, to click. Let's go down to our desires and our, and our intentions and the, the, the flow message here. Jonathan, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And this is from the Phillips translation. Okay. Do you, re- do you remember how on a racing track, every competitor runs, but only one wins the prize? Well, you ought to run with your minds fixed on winning the prize. Every competitor in athletic events goes into serious training. Athletes will take tremendous pains for a fading crown of leaves. But our contest is for an eternal crown that will never fade. I run the race then with determination. I am no shadow boxer. I really fight. I am my body's sternest master. For fear that when I have preached to others, I should myself be disqualified. So, Todd, here, the apostle is using an athlete as an example. And in terms of our desires and intentions, what, what's, the, what's the key message and how do you say it to a child? Well, the apostle Paul is a great example here. He's living his life with intentional purpose. It says, I run the race uh, with determination. He's not a shadow boxer. Um, intentional purpose. It's three things. Number one. Intentional purpose is who you serve. Number two, intentional purpose is what you say. Number three, intentional purpose is what you do. Now, the one thing I learned as their grandfather is that we attach meaning to events in our life based upon our intentional purpose. If our intentional purpose is to gain things in the world, then we're going to have meaning that is that will become disappointment. But if our intentional purpose is to live holy in the word of God and develop great spiritual fruitage, then everything in our life will be pointing us in that proper direction. You need a constant beacon. It's a lighthouse in your life. You will keep your spiritual mind focused with that constant beacon. And you need to live in the light of the gospel and follow the paths of the faithful women and men that God has given you and that are in closest to your heart. Okay, so if you combine that with the previous scriptures, it's who you serve, what you say, and what you do. All right, it's, a clarity, it's a clarity of purpose, Rick that's informed by your rational mind. That's your neocortex. The neocortex must rule. It must rule. It must rule. Okay. So Todd, you know, just, just in the next minute, I know it's kind of unfair to ask you this, but what if I want to go back to that, that question about your own gifts and abilities. What if you're not sure what your gifts and abilities are? What do you do? Ask a mentor, ask that spiritual guide. If you don't have a mentor in your life, look for one that can give you wisdom without prejudice that will, that can guide you and say, Rick, what is my gift? You've known me for 10 years. You've seen me act. It's hard for me to be objective when I look at myself. What are my gifts? And then operate on those principles. Now, there's 20 gifts outlined in the scriptures. And um, uh, that's that's another podcast there. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. I know we can. (laughs) Okay. All right. So so I'm beginning to really uh, begin to understand this flow thing. Sounds pretty cool. So, look, are we done? 
Stephen Covey once said, begin with the end in mind. We started with where we want to end up with flow. How do we get there? What are the steps? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. Remember, this conversation is laying the groundwork for a potentially life-changing letter to your real or imagined grandchildren. There's an amazing amount of learning that can happen within our own individual lifetimes and organizing that learning will benefit us as much as it will anyone else. So one of the great benefits, one of the great perks, if you will, of deciding to write this letter is it helps to focus your own mind on those things which are most important and the very act of wanting to influence somebody else who's younger and less experienced can actually change the way you look at things. And, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, Todd, in my own, in my own experience, um, in dealing with lots of people through lots of circumstances, when I'm called upon to try to help someone assess their life and to assess their challenges, and I really have to think it through, it makes me look at my life in a whole much stronger way, better way, more scripturally sound way, because I want to give only them only what's best. So this is a great exercise for New Year's to think about your grandchildren or your supposed grandchildren, you know, your, your, your imaginary grandchildren, or to think about you and what you can do to increase the value of your own life. Amen. The goal of each of us should become a spiritual mentor in other people's lives. Why? Because we learn 10% of what we read. We learn 20% of what we hear. We learn 30% of what we see. We learn 50% of what we discuss, and we learn 80% of what we experience, but here's the jackpot. We learn 95% of what we teach other people. There you go. That's a great place to be. So, all right, let's continue a little bit further now. You know, on your chart, which of course our listeners can't see, but if they subscribe to Secret Rewind, they'll be able to look at, you have two words on your chart on either side of flow, and they are inspired and control. So I'm going to ask you, what do they represent? How do they work? And how do you explain them to a kid? I'm going to be a broken record on that one. Let's start with inspired. I read in your notes that inspired has to do with what you called intentional purpose. Now you already gave us a lot of definition of intentional purpose. Okay. And the idea is, and it sounds silly, but the idea is doing things on purpose with objective in mind, not just kind of, you know, it's interesting because we think of go with the flow and it's sort of be, oh, be cool, be relaxed, just take what comes. But this is not going with the flow. This is finding your personal flow. And that does not go with the flow. It's entirely different. So let's get to inspired. Let's get to this, the inspired message and, and what you mean by inspired with this. So Jonathan, let's go to Matthew 10, verses 5 through 10. And then Todd, tell us how, what inspiration we can draw here. And, and again, a lesson for a kid. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Okay, what do we, how do you get inspired out of the principles in this text? Well, Jesus was giving these uh, men a tall order. They were, they, were, they were doing things. They were sp- fighting spiritual wickedness. He was telling them to do some amazing things that were, would be miraculous in our day today. But the, the point is, is that he believed and he taught the apostles to have those aptitudes and skills. He gave them the strengths and the aptitudes to be able to meet the challenges in their life. And they did it with, uh, with uh, shining stars. And we can see that in the ministries of all of the apostles that are recorded in the scriptures. Now, the secret here is that um, for us is that we have uh, abilities too. And we have strengths and aptitudes too. And if we take a look at our life as a in the learning mode, then we will keep adding strengths and aptitudes to our life. But if we look at our life in the performance mode, then we will be blind to the opportunities that God gives us. Okay, so here really it's a learning mode versus performance mode. We're taught by by uh, default to go along the performance road. But in our letter to our grandchildren, what we're saying is don't listen to that. Be a learner. Right. When your purpose is not clear, you play social games. When your purpose is not clear, you get caught up in non-essential, destructive activities. When your purpose is not clear, you try to look better to your peers and try to increase your self-importance. And when your purpose is not clear, you try to satisfy yourself with fancy cars, big houses, material things to impress your friends and neighbors. Okay. Live, live an inspired life by having a clear conscience with intentional purpose. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So that's it. That's the line. Live an inspired life by having a clear conscience and an, in- and an intentional purpose. And again, it's not about the stuff. It's about the learning. It's about the growing into something. This is what we want our grandchildren to know. Okay. Inspired and intentional. How did Jacob show us? And we're going to read Genesis 28, 16 through 22. Um, and Todd, in your notes, you had verses 10 to 15 to start. Just in the interest of time, we don't want to read those verses. But give us the, the, the background of verses 10 through 15 before we actually read 16 through 22. Well, Jacob was going through a certain experience in his life, and he decided to go out on his own and to uh, commune with God. And he found a place to sleep, and uh, uh, God gave him this dream. And uh, so he... <clears throat> he he uh, had a he went on a journey he had a dream and then God gave him a promise and then this was you're about to read his conclusion I believe okay that all right so we've got he's there he has this dream he's looking for God he he's in that learning mode just that you described he wants to know he wants to understand and so he is looking for godly intervention in his life to show him. And this is what happens, Genesis 28, 16 through 22. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar 
and poured oil on its top. He called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously, the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob seems to be making a pretty strong commitment to God. But there's an if attached in his specific commitment. You know, and, and this, is a, this is an if, Todd, that I think we have to be really careful of. And we want to explain in terms of inspired and intentional and what, what the lesson is here. Because he says, well, if God's going to feed me and give me clothing and bring me home safe, then hey, of course he's going to be my God. I mean, is that, is that the attitude with which he's saying those words? I don't believe that was the thoughts in his heart. The main, and that's actually not the point of this scripture in my, in my thinking. Um, <clears throat> number one, Jacob did not freak out. He did not run away scared when God saw him, <clears throat> met with him. And I believe that Jacob was inspired <clears throat> because I don't think Jacob believed that his strengths and aptitudes were up to this opportunity from God. He was speaking to the creator of the universe. And that's what my grandsons have the opportunity to do. To do. God chose Jacob in this dream. And that's what my grandsons have the opportunity to do. And, th and that's the big message. Now, this experience, yes, it was a reach for Jacob. But he was inspired because he was able to rise to the challenge and the opportunity that God put before him. And that's the message to my grandchildren. That's the letter. Rise to the opportunity through your strengths and the aptitudes. The challenges and opportunities will be there, but God is with you. He will take care of you. Okay, so you want to rise to the opportunity and the challenge. And again, what opportunity and what challenge? A lot of times we don't even know where we're supposed to go. But going back to what you said before, find a mentor. Find someone who can help you see yourself through eyes that are outside of yourself because those eyes can often see things that you just simply cannot. And so by if you're young and, well, even if you're not young, you know, trying to, to find your place absolutely requires looking outside of your own thoughts. And, and Jonathan, let me just give a, a quick example of that. Um, because 20 years ago, I was, and you'll know this story as soon as I start telling it, I was very dissatisfied with myself because I was, I know that, that God has given me a, an ability to communicate. And I wasn't using it well. And I knew it. And I was really upset. Like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And then you come along with this idea that someone gave to you about this, hey, let's do a Christian radio show. And yeah, you said crazy idea. Yeah, that's right. I said it was a crazy idea at first until an opportunity opened up and the Lord just put it so close in front of my face I couldn't look around it anymore. And so by listening to the idea that you presented the second time, it would have been great if I listened the first, but hey, I didn't. But by listening to what was presented, that helped me to take my gifts and put them to work. And, and Todd, that's, I think, exactly what you're saying. Rick, I, I can tell by the music in your words that you are living in a state of flow on this podcast. Yeah. The music of your words are in, indicate the level of inspiration that you live every day. Yeah, no, and, and, and this, is, this is, for me, this, 
do, be, having this opportunity is the greatest thing since sliced bread. There is just nothing better for me, and I, I'm, I am so at home and so, so excited. You're right. You're right. Okay, let's talk about inspired and directed. Uh, short scripture from Jesus coming up. How is Jesus telling us to live inspired? What words is he referring to in this next text? And again, how do you say it to kids? Jonathan, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Rick, speaking of being inspired, you can be inspired seven days a week on CQ Bible Podcast on Facebook or CQ Bible Podcast on Instagram or CQ Bible Podcast on Twitter and CQ Bible Podcast on YouTube. That's all one word, CQ Bible Podcast, social media used for good. So inspired, Todd, Jesus speaks these very few words about hearing his words and acting on them, being compared to a wise man. Give us the, the inspiration from that in, in, in the context of a child. Well, the words of Jesus, the words of the scriptures are used as a, there's a metaphor. They are a light to your path. And those words are a light that comes into your life. And before the light shines from you, the light has to shine in you. And that is a familiar refrain throughout the scriptures. And I can tell you from experience that when I listen and guide my life by the word of God, and then I serve others and learn from them in the framework of the word of God, that I will, I've lived an inspired life. All right. So, and, and, and that's a good thing to live in an inspired way, to live an inspired life. Now, we're running a little shy on time in this segment, and there were two things we wanted to discuss. We wanted to talk inspired, and then we wanted to talk control. So, let's talk about control, because the real big question here is does this mean I'm in control? And what does control look like? So, Jonathan, Proverbs 3 13 and 14, then Todd, help us to understand what control means in this finding your personal flow. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, for her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. Okay, Todd. I'm speaking to my grandsons here. This scripture paints a beautiful picture for me of peace and rest. Let the scriptures paint pictures in your mind. Drink deeply from the happy, confident feeling that you get when you know and feel that God and Jesus are with you. Get the highest possible return to every precious moment in your life. Now, there's going to be a trade-off between lots of good things and a few great things. And my advice to you is that you favor the great things. Remember, if you want to gain knowledge, add one thing, spiritual thing to your life every day. But if you want to gain wisdom, subtract one fleshly thing from your life every day. Okay, and, and this is being in that learning instead of accumulating mentality of life. Yes. Wisdom, I just want to leave this definition. Wisdom is understanding in action to develop and to heal. Okay, understanding in action to develop and to heal. So how does control manifest itself in our next scripture? How much control do we have of control? Because it really does sound like I'm supposed to take the wheel here. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Okay, so Todd, with control, how much control do we have of 
control? Well, the, the control, it means that we are happy and confident that God is with us. And this is um, something that you feel very safe with. And uh, it is a point where you submit your life to the Word of God, then let the Word of God work hard for you. Let the Word of God work hard for you with knowledge, with understanding, with wisdom, by knowing it, by applying it, and by living by it in your daily life. Now, I've not always been that way. I've gone through some extreme disappointments, but the point of this scripture is that we can enter into a rest when we know the word of God, when we guide our life by it, and when we live it. Okay. So control really is not about me taking the wheel so much as it's about me falling in line with that learning ability of life so I can know that God is with me because I am seeking him. And that's being happy and confident, and that'll happen in the good times and the bad times. Okay, all right. So, and, and that's really important. So, again, in this letter to your grandchildren, whether the times are good or the times are bad, the important thing is that God can be with you in all of those times. And even when they're bad, there is still control. So control really sounds more like letting go with a purpose because you're letting go. You, you've, we've heard the phrase, let go and let God. That's really what you're saying here. It's putting right. God up on top and in front of all that we do. Uh, Follow your strengths and aptitudes and look for God to open the doors for you. That's control. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Follow your strengths and aptitudes and look for God to open the doors for you. Not that that accumulation phase of, oh, there's a door. I got to have it. I got to have it. It is letting God. And so that's what control is. It's a whole different aspect. Letting go with a purpose, with a godly purpose. We don't actually have time for the last scripture. We'll just throw it out there for our listeners, Romans 12, 9 to 13. But we really need to, to, to wrap up this segment. You know, flow, control, inspired, and inspired. All of this is pretty empowering, specifically for a kid. It is, but we're nowhere near complete. So far, it's all been about good stuff. Does our grandkids' letter include things that can bring you down? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. So by definition, offering impactful advice to a young mind can be a tricky thing. You don't want to overwhelm them, but you do want to impress them. Part of making that impression is being willing to address the pitfalls of life, what they are, how they work, and what can be learned from them. So in this letter to our grandchildren, addressing the pitfalls and the difficulties of life is just as important as saying, you want to find that flow. You want to have your mentor. You want to be in that learning mode. You don't want to be in the getting. You want to be in the sowing and the reaping, not buying and selling. You want to, but, but you've got to understand the pitfalls. So, Todd, for this segment, one, uh, one key, uh, your, your one key word things here are a mixed bag. We've got three that we're going to, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to try. We're going to try to cover anxiety, relaxed, and worry. Now, again, I'm going to ask you these questions. How do these contribute to or detract from flow? How do they work, and how do you explain them to a kid? Let's start. Okay. Well, hang on, Todd. Let, let's start with anxiety. Hey, Rick, I have a great idea on how to keep our listeners from anxiety. 
trying to remember all of this stuff, <laughs> well, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, so you have everything in front of you so you can't forget it. Okay, there you go. Simple, simple. ChristianQuestions.com, CQ Rewind, the full edition, a full, a, a, a free service. So, so Todd, we're going to start with anxiety. Let's just throw a scripture out, and then you can get us started on managing anxiety. Ecclesiastes 4.6. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor in striving after wind. Okay, Todd. Okay, um, this scripture tells us basically that anxiety will come to you by owning too much material stuff. As you said earlier, we don't need more stuff. Storage units are full of stuff. What we want, we want solutions for our life. We want great strength, great spiritual bones that we can build families on and they can lead happy, successful lives. And um, I have a, a work associate. He has a daughter named Ruby Gale. And I know that that is an objective that he is really striving. He wants to build a great spiritual foundation for his children and with a safe haven at home that they can come home to and feel happy with. All right. So anxiety can can, can tear that all apart because it, it, it pulls us apart. And what you're suggesting is things can lead us to anxiety uh, and principles. Things, yeah. Yeah, principles lead us to peace. So uh, another scripture on this, Exodus 4, 10 to 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. So, Todd, in this scripture, sounds like Moses is, is in over his head, or he thinks he's in over his head. Amen. And I think this, is, this was a mistake by Moses. Um, he didn't think he had the ability to be the public speaker that his brother Aaron was. And uh, so he petitioned the Lord. He pleaded with God to provide him with another means to do his work. And I think uh, um, he should have trusted God. You know, when Aaron made that golden calf, I would imagine that Moses regretted not, regretted not trusting in God to give him the gift of speech. God would have given them given him the gift of speech. And that's the lesson. If God gives us the work to do, he will provide us, he will equip us with the strength to do it. So the problem with anxiety is that sometimes it's a stepping stone and we need to treat it as a stepping stone. We need to treat it as a learning opportunity for God to increase our strengths and aptitudes. And I want to tell you this 30 second story because when I was over in China, I was uh, uh, sitting at a round table, very noisy restaurant, and I asked my um, Chinese friend through an interpreter what he wanted. And he asked me to qualify the question. He says, what are you talking about? And I said, I want to know what you want. And he came back and he says, I want my son to go to high school in the United States of America. And in this restaurant, there were a bunch of Chinese Secret Service goons walking around, actually looking at me. And this guy, because he was actually wanted um, because of his uh, uh, journalistic endeavors. But guess what? This is one of the greatest things that Marilyn and I have done in our whole life. We've actually saved this young man. And um, was I anxious around that table with those big Chinese goons? One followed me into the bathroom. Oh, and uh, I was anxious as all get out. But guess what? 
the Lord gave me the tools to do it. And it was his doing. It wasn't mine. I was just his instrument to do his work. And that's the message. Become that instrument and allow God to work through you. And sometimes allowing God to work through you says, take the anxiety and take the fear and have those things become faith, become an act of faith, like you said, a stepping stone. Okay, so we go from anxiety, let's go to relaxed. We got to see if we can plow through this. Relaxed, I'll tell you, I like this one, kind of sounds mellow, uh, though the next (laughs) scripture doesn't seem to fit. So you're going to have to explain Matthew 25, verses 2 and 3, and then verses 8 to 9, and we're just going to skip a little bit. Go ahead, Jonathan. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Now, I don't know, Todd, this is not a relaxed situation here. I mean, there's tension, there's disagreement, there's somebody having to tell somebody else no. So how, Give me, help me here. What's, well, the, <laughs> what does relaxed the, mean? The secret here is that they were all virgins. That means that they were all um, consecrated, they were all devoted to the work of God. Some of them were wiser than the others, but they were all consecrated to the work of God, and they were all enjoying a relaxed state. Now, Uh, The wise virgins were putting oil in their vessels. That's the love of God, and that's the sanctified uh, love of God in their hearts. And the foolish virgins were not doing that. So what's the message here? Relaxed means that you're confident, you're contented, your faith is at rest. Enjoy this state of relaxation during vacation with your family. But here's a warning. It's a temporary enjoyment. Don't stay there. Okay, because if you stay relaxed, when life gets uh, life requires courage and fortitude, you're not going to be ready for it. That's what you're saying. Amen. Okay, all right. So now let, let's go to another scripture that gives us, I think, a little bit of a different bent on this relaxed idea. Isaiah thirty fifteen. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. All right. So in this verse, I can see the relaxed. In quietness and trust is your strength. Yeah. Now, the point here is, though, that this is a promise that is given to us to claim in prayer. So if you find yourself in a life of anxiety, this is a promise that you can claim and petition God to help you uh, not be so anxious. Now, beware. The message that God gives you might be different than the than the one you want to hear. It might require getting rid of stuff. Remember, wisdom is gained by getting one of, rid of one fleshly thing every day. When we downsized our home, it was a tremendous weight off our back. But we got rid of 60% of everything that we owned. And that's part of what's required here. Okay, so to be in this relaxed... so So, okay, I think I'm getting it now. So the relaxed state then is being in a place where you find godliness as being the big thing, as being yes. the, the big, what do I own? Hey, what, what stuff do you have? I'll tell you, I have godliness. That's The what Lord stuff is I my have. shepherd, I shall not want. Okay. That's shall not want any earthly thing. Okay, one more scripture on this, uh, Jonathan, First uh, Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
All right, Todd, we're talking about relax, and now here we're talking about contentment, and we're talking about godliness. Put it all together, and again, phrase it the way you would tell a child. Well, the big message here in verses 6 through 12 is that, um, uh, and the warning that I have is that riches actually prolong the state of relaxation. Um, Your fight is a continuous mission, and this is what the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy. He says, uh, that they will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Guess what? Your life is a marathon. It's a fight. It's a continual mission. There will be opportunities in your life if you look for them, and God will give you strength to be ready for them. And for my grandsons, I want them to know that I have prayed that God will open many doors for them. But it is their job to see those doors as opportunities rather than insurmountable brick walls. Okay, so let me try to sum up relaxation here. You're saying that relax, to relax is a good thing in very small doses periodically, because if we seek the state of relaxation, we seek the state of being aloof to what's around us. In such a state, we can't be content. See, relaxation does not breed contentment. It breeds contempt for the world around you. So to find contentment means that you treat relaxation with respect and occasionally. And you focus... It's a platform for our faith. Okay, it's a platform for our faith, but it's not the place that you stay. You go back, and and you know, I, and I think of Jesus going to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He went there and he relaxed, and then he went right back to work. So if that, you're living in relaxation, you're not looking for the opportunities and challenges God's putting in your life. Right. So I would submit that if you're living in relaxation, you're not living. So, Amen. all right. Let's go back to the downside, okay, worry. We started with anxiety. We looked at relaxing, uh, you know, and that's kind of a mixed bag. Now worry. Sounds pretty common. How do we find flow here? Jonathan, let's start with Proverbs 119. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Okay, how does this have to do with worry? Um. The worry has to do with knowing that I'm not good enough. And um, uh, what was the scripture that Jonathan read? Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 119. 119. Okay. Um, so if you, if, if you are greedy of gain, it takes away your very life because you're, you're living in a state where you know you're not good enough and you're trying to gain material wealth to make you feel better in your own eyes. But what you're doing is you've, your wheels have gotten in the mud and you're, you're messed up. The one I like is the, uh, the, the uh, Isaiah 40, verse 1. It's a promise that I like to claim. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. And when I'm worried or sad or distressed, I claim that promise. Okay, so you, you said something interesting. You said, you know, worry is knowing that I'm not good enough. Yes. So, just uh, you know, let me let me go a little further. So if you if you tell a child, look, you know, you worry when you know that you're not good enough. So, isn't knowing that you're not good enough admitting that you're not good enough? And if you're not good enough, shouldn't you be worried? I mean, how how do you how do you how do you deal with that? How do you overcome the that? Is, is that you are good enough, and if you feel like you're not good enough, it's because you don't have your head in the right place. That that you you uh, don't realize the strengths and aptitudes that you have. That your strengths and aptitudes were given to you by God, and they, and they are 
they have, he has prepped you for those challenges and opportunities. Okay, so when we say to ourselves, I know I'm not good enough, what you're suggesting is, well, look, if God puts you in this place because you've been seeking him, you've been following sowing and reaping rather than buying and selling, you've been following that spiritual mentor and looking for godliness instead of things, and you come to the place where you know you're not good enough, what you're doing is you're listening, just like that, pro, uh, what was it, that, that Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You're listening to the wrong voices. And you've got to plant yourself back by the waters where you can be nourished because if God planted you there, he certainly is going to give you the strength to grow there. So half of our troubles in life are due to saying yes too early and no, not soon enough. (laughs) Okay. I think I got to remember that one. (laughs) That's what I think. All right. Let's, uh, we're we're, we're a little shy on time. Jonathan, let's go to Joshua chapter one, verse nine on this, on this segment of worry and our letter to our grandchildren and helping them understand what worry can do to derail us from that life of flow of finding our center if you will have i not commanded you be strong and courageous and do not tremble or be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go okay todd so this is the message i'd like to leave with my grandsons this is a precious promise that God gave to Joshua, we have the ability to claim it in prayer. For crying out loud, you can enter into a dialogue with the creator of the universe. It's a dialogue with God. And He, we can ask for his help in how we live our life every day. Now, God does 10% of the work for you already. And he shows you the path for the other 90%. So what's my message to my grandsons? Open up that dialogue with God. And he's looking for how you decide the individual things that you seek. Be a good decision maker. The scriptures are a guide for situational thinking. Okay, so open up that dialogue. And then I would add, based on what you just said, and then prepare to go to work. Amen. Because if God's going to provide 10% and you have to provide 90, that means you've got to work. And see, that's... That's the secret of all this. Going to work, what does that mean? It means learning. It means absorbing. It means being willing to stay in that, uh, what's that part of your brain, the thinking part? The, uh, yeah, the neocortex. Then, right, I knew that. The neocortex. Letting your neocortex rule instead of the emotions and the instincts because that is where true growth comes from. And worry, when we can follow that path, can really begin to drain away. Okay. One more quick scripture here on worry, Todd, and then we're going to need to wrap up this uh, segment. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Uh, Rick, uh, choice in our day is the main driver of modern life. And what that does is it creates something called decision fatigue. And it's the more choices that we are forced to make, the lower quality the choices become. And it turns into opinion overload, which which is the idea that we can have it all, we can do it all, and guess what? Everybody in our world is infected by it because they live in man's economy of buying and selling. My friends, my grandsons, this is the dream that is sold in advertising. And my advice to you, have the courage to live a life that is true to yourself rather than the life that others expect of you. Okay, so and so you just answered my question. How do you say it to a kid? You know, live the life that is true to yourself. What is true to yourself? It's not necessarily what you want, but it's necessarily what God 
by his overruling can put in front of you if you're willing to accept that. And that's where that true contentment and that true flow can come from. So, you know, I am starting to feel empowered, but uh, now it's because I'm informed. Let's keep that momentum going. We have been working our way backwards. What are the basic challenges that we come to next? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. See, the value of this letter to our grandchildren would not be complete if we did not address two of the biggest life stealers in our world, boredom and apathy. It feels like a struggle to even say the words as they typify a life that isn't lived, experienced, or even appreciated. Plowing through boredom and apathy is a must if we want to paint a comprehensive picture, if we want to write a comprehensive life-changing letter to our grandchildren. So, so Todd, uh, for the final segment, you know, we've been working backwards, and it's kind of weird to end on boredom and apathy because, you know, you're trying to build up to this big crescendo. But essentially, building up to this big crescendo is really understanding what can get in your way. So, boredom yes. and apathy. Boredom boredom is, uh, you know, when you really don't know what to do, you're depressed. Uh, You are contented, but you're really depressed. And apathy is uh, when you're sad and depressed. So there's a difference. Boredom is when you are contented and depressed. And apathy is when you are sad and depressed. And apathy is when you think, hey, so many things could go wrong. There's no use of even getting started. Okay, so that gives you a general sense. So let's go through now some scriptures and some practical applications of boredom and apathy. So we'll start with, uh, with, with boredom. Proverbs 6, 6 through 10. Jonathan, go ahead. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When you will arise, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest. Okay, Todd, doesn't sound like a good situation. <laughs> the, metaf- the, the ant is a wonderful metaphor. It's a really hard worker. And guess what? They all communicate. They all um, are um, obedient to the benevolent dictator. And in our life, the benevolent dictator is God. And uh, the ant colony is one of the more powerful, I think, ants, uh, are some of uh, the most biological mass in the whole world. Now, the ants do one thing really well, and they work like crazy. But the ants do not do one thing, and that is they do not major in minor activity. And when we're bored, we seem to major in minor activity. The ant tells us how to get out of boredom. By doing what? By getting your fir- first foot put in front of the other. I have a very... Uh, a, f- a friend uh, in Chicago, her name is Techie, and uh, she uh, is extremely challenged physically, but what she does is she uh, teaches uh, physically challenged children how to act on stage, and she has three rules. She says, do your best work, that's rule number one. Rule number two, be nice to your fellow actors, 
And rule number three, if you're afraid, do it anyway. Boredom is a place where you're afraid, you're depressed, and if you're afraid, do it anyway. That's what the ant teaches us. Okay, so uh, you know, be uh, so you tell your grandchild to be like your aunt. What about your uncle? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, but it's such a good lesson. It's such a good lesson because it's it's it gives you a sense of that that willingness to to be active. But you know, sometimes it's hard to get there. It's hard to take that step out of the the lethargy of boredom into the activity that that brings all of these other things let's, let's go to another scripture Todd and, and help us just to, to again focus this this on how do you tell a child about uh, the the pitfalls of boredom boredom did you want to say something else first Todd go ahead oh no okay scripture Jonathan Proverbs 10 21 to 23 the lips of the righteous feed many but fools die for lack of understanding it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Rick, this is uh, my grandson's job description. Uh, your words have the power to feed many people. Watch your words. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. And um, this is a precious promise that you can claim in prayer. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. Now, you will, verse 23 tells you how to determine if one of your friends is a fool. <laughs> and you need to surround yourself with wise people because you will become like the people that you surround yourself with. Now, do you know what the definition of a fool is? Somebody who causes trouble just for fun. If you have friends that cause trouble just for fun, they are a fool. And if you keep them as your friends, you're going to be a fool too. You need to leave those people. They're fools. That's pretty strong stuff for a kid. <laughs> because that's a hard thing to do. You know, because yeah. th don't those kids look like the cool ones? You know, that yeah. you know, there's all the laughing and the and excitement that's around that. But what you're saying is that the truest contentment, the truest growth, the truest goodness in life comes from avoiding such things because those have a very those are like a fruit fly they live for a day and then they die that's really, really really what it comes down to okay let, let's go to the next scripture leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 now nadab and abihu the sons of aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them placed incense on them and offered strange fire before the lord which he had not commanded them and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Okay, so now you've got this scripture under the heading of boredom. I, yes. I, need, to, I need to make that connection. Uh, it's because Nadab and Abihu were bored. <laughs> okay. And you know what they did? They dishonored God. They started entertaining themselves. They started entertaining themselves in the temple of the living God. And this evil act that they did dishonored the holy things of God. And this entered their hearts because they were fools. They were fools because they let their boredom take over their life. You know, can you imagine what it's like to be bored? I can't anymore because I never get bored. I have a smartphone. <laughs> I, I don't ever have to be bored. But Nadab and Abihu were bored. 
and don't hang around people that are bored. Don't hang around people that cause trouble for fun. They are fools. You don't want to be a fool. Okay. So, Todd, you are coming out really strongly against those who act foolishly. And it's going to be a tough world for my grandchildren to grow up in. And, and, and folks, look, you know, you say, why? You know, shouldn't he be a little bit more calm, more calm on that? Well, think about this for a second. Think about this. Because we are trying to give the strongest, best advice to our grandchildren, whether we have those grandchildren or not. And really what Todd is saying is, look, there are pitfalls in life. One of them is that, is that, that um, the current of boredom and what comes with it is, 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 is doing foolish things and then getting into a habit of being foolish. And then if you are foolish for long enough, you actually do become a fool. So you don't want to go there. And you want your grandchildren to know that we need to, if you want to live that life that is so internally happy and productive and content and and accomplishment oriented you know accomplishing things you can't waste your time with things like that even at a young age so you know and it's interesting because with my grandson you know he's 10 years old and he's at that age where a lot of things influence him and uh, you know his dad uh, has really done a marvelous job on reeling him in when he has gotten when he's gone off the track that you know a lot of kids start to go off where everything's a joke and he's reminded him very carefully that life is full of responsibilities. And it's really interesting how he has risen above what once was because his dad is so focused on that with him. And so, Rick, before we go to apathy, you wanted to share something about your YouTube grandfather story. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we started a YouTube series with Christian Questions called uh, uh, CQ Moments That Matter. So folks, check that out. Uh, go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube and you can get to, get to that series. We're just, just starting it. So I told my grandson, who loves to watch things about the games and things on YouTube, that I was uh, doing YouTube videos. And, you know, he's 10, and he's got a vision of what YouTube is supposed to be. And he looks at me, and he says, Papa. And he's nodding his head no, like, do I have to tell him this? Papa, you don't do what YouTubers do. <laughs> it was just so funny because you know I'm telling him thinking he's going to be excited and he's like patting me on the arm like it's okay Papa I know it's in your imagination but you're really not a YouTuber <laughs> you know and again this you know and I, and I get such a charge every time I tell that story because it's about us giving them the value of the years of experience and wisdom so they can rise above and say wow there's something really special here so uh, let, let's go to apathy. We only have just uh, about uh, seven or eight minutes left here. Apathy. Now, it's interesting, Todd, because, you know, you said, I'm not bored because I have a smartphone. And I think that smartphones will keep us from being bored, but will help us to become totally apathetic because we can get lost in the, in the nonsense that's on that phone. So what we may lack in boredom because of technology, we more than make up for an apathy. Let's get a few scriptures in line and let's just, again address our grandchildren in terms of how to deal with and avoid apathy. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 7. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Well, Rick, the Apostle Paul knew that it took a lot of effort to overcome the inertia 
of doing nothing. Okay, okay, stop, stop. Say that again. The Apostle Paul knew from experience that it takes a lot of effort to overcome the inertia of doing nothing. Okay. That's what happens in apathy. So many things, we think so many things could go wrong. There's no use of even getting started. Now, my advice to my grandsons is that if you ever watch the freight train go uh, on Fifth Avenue as you go up Cassidy Avenue, that you need to be like the freight train. Have you ever noticed how much play is in the couplings of a locomotive car? Yeah. You know why there's so much play in the, in the coupling? Why? It's because the engine can only pull one car at a time. And then that inertia, uh, when that couple meets the, uh, ne- uh, the next car, then it pulls two cars at a time. And then after the couple meets the third car, that, that, so that play gives the engine a chance. But the engine starts to move and it carries one freight train car with it at a time. And then it adds up to 1,000. So that's, that's, that's the secret here. Become like a freight train. All right. So the, and that freight train, if those things, so what you're saying is, and, and you know, that, that's really an interesting thought. I never thought of it that way. Because so if the freight train was like one solid line that was solid of, you know, 500 cars or 1,000 cars weighing who knows how many, you know, millions of tons, that engine could not get it started. But because there's that movement, it can jerk that first car, which can jerk the second car, and that just keeps on moving down the line, and it has a chance. So, so to, to, to address that in, in relation to apathy, it's to say, it's to make the effort, and make, make, make the effort, and change one little thing, which changes the next little thing, which changes the next little thing, and create the, 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 the strength that that engine will display by, by pulling all of those cars at the same time. Amen. That's way cool. That's way cool. Next scripture, Jonathan, Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. <laughs> okay. Don't ever get like a sluggard. There's no lions out your door. God gave you the tools to go out and fight lions. Now, a wise man gave me the following advice. Despair is a spiritual disease because it disconnects us from the truth about ourselves. Despair is a spiritual disease because it disconnects us from the truth about ourselves. You're a child of God. You live in the power of God. If you pray to God and you do his will in your life, you're living in the power of God. And that avoid negative speak. Look for the movie moment in your life. Be like a freight train. Don't compare yourselves with others and keep learning. Now, the thing you cannot do is you can never steer a parked car. Hmm. You need to keep exploring. You need to keep searching. You need to keep moving. And when you find that, you will never stop advancing and you will always live your best life. You know, I I like that analogy of you can never steer a parked car because I remember being a kid and getting in behind the driver's seat and pretending to drive the parked car. And and that's the way we can end up actually spending our lives. We can spend our lives pretending to drive the car just like a kid 
Or we can grow up and put the apathy aside and say, you know what? It's going to take some time and effort. I've got to earn the money to, to get the car. I'm going to turn the key and I've got to drive the car. And that takes you out of apathy and takes you into action. And again, in that learning mode, in that sowing and reaping mode, instead of the buying and selling and finding the mentor for a kid to, to grow up, to have somebody show you, you know, what you've got going for you, all of those things uh, will be very, very, very important in, in putting this all together. Okay, next scripture, 1 Kings eleven four. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord God, as the heart of David his father had been. The big idea here, Rick, is sometimes we give up our power to choose bit by bit until we blindly follow another person. Okay, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there, Todd, because we're about out of time. I want you to get, get into your conclusion right here. Yeah, you, uh, my grandsons, you're growing up in a world that is like two cars traveling down the highway at 100 miles an hour, one inch from each other. The world is living at a frenetic pace. Your challenge is to not live like the rest of the world. You need to make sure that you live in God's economy Stay close to his, the scriptures. Make sure that you stay hydrated by the word of God. And make sure that you serve other people. Live your life in a learning mode rather than a performance mode. Live by the light of the gospel. And your success will be your honor to God. It will be your understanding of your own intelligences, your own temperament, and your own engagement with the world. How you engage with the world, or will you be a, a warrior, will you be a miracle worker, or will you be a martyr? The choice is yours. Take a note from the ant, start one step at a time, be like a freight train, pull that first car first, and God will be with the good. Be courageous, God will be with the good. Todd, thanks so much for being with us in our letter to our grandchildren. Really appreciate your thought, the power of your influence and what you're trying to do for people. Thank you. Amen. Folks, you heard it here. We're talking about not only trying to change the lives of those children in our lives, but change ourselves while we want to influence them toward the best that they can possibly be. Think about what you would tell to that child, the wisdom you would want them to have and know so they can live a life really, truly worth living. For Jonathan, Rick, and Todd and Christian Questions, until next week, think about that letter, change their life, change your life. Till next week think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Let us know at ChristianQuestions.com.